And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's May 15th, 135th day of the year. 230 days remain to the end of the year. And for those that want to know holidays observances, National Chocolate Chip Day. Well, my system keeps jumping. And why does it do that, I wonder? Hmm. Okay. Bring flowers to someone day. Hyperemius says, Gravidarium Awareness Day. It's uh, not just morning sickness. It's more serious than that. International Conscientious Objectors Day. International Family Day. International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day. International NPS Awareness Day. National Nylon Stocking Day. Now that's something I can... Get behind National Safety Dose Day, National Senior Fraud Awareness Day, National T- Tuberous Sclerosis Day, Nine Line Stocking Day, as I said, Peace Officers Memorial Day, Straw Hat Day, TSC Global Awareness Day, Vascular Birthmarks Awareness Day, VBF Day of Awareness. All right. 221 A.D., Liu Bai, Chinese warlord, proclaims himself emperor of Shu Han, the successor of the Han Dynasty. 392, Emperor Valentinian II is assassinated while advancing into Gaul against the Frankish usurper Arbogast. He's found hanging in his residence at Vienne. 589, King Othari marries a Theodolinda, daughter of the Bavarian Duke Garibald I. A Catholic, she has great influence among the Lombard nobility. 756, Abd al Rahman I, the founder of the Arab dynasty that ruled the greater part of Iberia for nearly 300 years, becomes Emir of Cordova, Spain. 1252, Pope Innocent IV, he was not innocent by any means, issues the papal bull, Ad Extrapanda, which authorizes but limits the torture of heretics in the medieval Inquisition. 1525, insurgent peasants led by Anabaptist pastor Thomas Munster were defeated at the Battle of Frankenhausen, ending the German Peasants' War in the Holy Roman Empire. The peanut gallery is tuning up. 1536, Anne Boleyn, Queen of England, stands trial in London on charges of treason, adultery, and incest. A uh, specially selected jury condemns her to death. 1602, Cape Cod is sighted by English navigator Bartholomew Gosnold. 1618, Johannes Kepler confirms his previously rejected theory that there is law of penetrary motion. Um, 1648, the Peace of Munster is ratified by which Spain acknowledges Dutch sovereignty. 1791, French Revolution. Maximilien Robespierre proposes the self-denying ordinance. 
And uh, for those who are not familiar with it, uh, barred any member from sitting uh, in its successor to the Legislative Assembly. This happened during the Dutch, the French Revolution, the, the Constituent Assembly, which was elected in 1789, passed a res ordinance, as I said, barred any member from sitting in its successor to the Legislative Assembly, convened in 1791. Basically, they legislated themselves out of a job. The... Uh, 1817, the opening of the first private mental health hospital in the U.S., the Asylum for the Relief of Persons Deprived of Use of Their Reason. That's now the Friends Hospital in Philadelphia. 1836, Francis Bailey observes Bailey's beads during an annular um, eclipse. 1849, the Sicilian Revolution of 1848 is finally extinguished. 1850, the Iran Southern Treaties ratified, ending the existing differences between Great Britain and Argentina. 1851, the first Australian gold rush is proclaimed, although the discovery was made three months before. 1864, Battle of Newmarket, Virginia, during the American Civil War. Students from the Virginia Military Institute fight alongside the Confederate Army to force uh, Union General Franz Siegel out of the Shenandoah Valley. 1891, Pope Leo XIII defends workers' rights and property rights in the encyclical Rerum Novarum, beginning of modern Catholic social teachings. 1905, the city of Las Vegas, founded in Nevada, now known as Sin City. 1911, the Standard Oil Company of New Jersey versus U.S., the Supreme Court declared Standard Oil to be an unreasonable monopoly under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Orders the company to be broken up. Also in 1911, more than 300 Chinese immigrants are killed in the Torreon Massacre when the forces of the Mexican Revolution, led by Emilio Madero, take the city of Torreon from the Federales. 1918, the Finnish Civil War ends when the whites took over Fort Eno, a Russian coastal artillery base in the Karelian Isthmus from the Russian troops. 1919, the Winnipeg General Strike begins. About 11 o'clock, almost the whole working population of Winnipeg walked off its jobs. Also in 1919, the Greek occupation of Smyrna. During the occupation, the Greek army kills or wounds 350 Turks. Those responsible are punished by Greek commander Aristides Sturgiades. 1929, a fire at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio kills 123. 1932, an attempted coup d'etat, the Prime Minister of Japan, Nuki Toshiyoshi, is assassinated. 1933, all military aviation organizations went under the control of the RAM of Germany were officially merged into a, in a covert manner to form its Wehrmacht military air arm, the Luftwaffe. 1934, self-coup by uh, Prime Minister Carlos Umanis succeeded in Latvia. Suspended the Constitution, dissolved its uh, Saima. 1940, USS Sailfish is recommissioned. It was originally the USS Squalus. Also in 1940, on this date, World War II, Battle of the Netherlands. After fierce fighting, the poorly trained and equipped Dutch troops surrendered to Germany. Marked the beginning of five years of occupation. Also in 1940, Richard Maurice McDonald opened the first McDonald's restaurant. 1941, the first flight of the Gloucester E-28, the first British and Allied jet aircraft, took place. 
1942, World War II, in the U.S., a bill creating the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, or the WAX, is signed into law. Uh, 1943, Joseph Stalin dissolves the Comintern. 1945, World War II, and the Battle of Polyana, final skirmish in Europe, is fought near Prevale in Slovenia. 1948, following the expiration of the British Mandate for Palestine, the Kingdom of Egypt, Transjordan, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia invade Israel, which started the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. 1957, at Maiden Island in the Pacific Ocean, Britain tests its first hydrogen bomb in Operation Grapple. 1963, Project Mercury, the launch of the final Mercury mission, Mercury Atlas 9, with astronaut Gordon Cooper on board. He becomes the first American to spend more than a day in space and the last American to go into space alone. 1970, President Nixon appoints Anna Mae Hayes and Elizabeth Hosington, the first female United States Army generals. 1972, the Ryukyu Islands, under U.S. military governance since its conquest in 1945, reverts to Japanese control. 1974, Malon Massacre. Members of the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine attack and take hostages at an Israeli school. 31 people are killed, including 22 school children. 1988, Soviet Afghan War. After more than eight years of fighting, Soviet Army begins to withdraw 115,000 troops from Afghanistan. Uh, 1991, Edith Cresson becomes France's first female prime minister. 1997, the United States government acknowledges the existence of the secret war in Laos and dedicates the Laos Memorial in honor of Hmong and other secret war veterans. Also in 1997, the space shuttle Atlas, Atlantis launches uh, on STS-84 to dock with the Russian space station Mir. 2001, a CSX CMD SD-40 rolls out of a train yard in Walbridge, Ohio with 47 freight cars, including some tank cars with flammable chemical after its engineer fails to reboard it after setting a yard switch. It travels driverless for 66 miles until it was brought to a halt near Kenton. The uh, incident became the inspiration for the 2010 film Unstoppable. 2004, Arsenal FC go on an entire league campaign unbeaten in the English Premier League, joining Preston North End FC with uh, the right to claim the title The Invincibles. 2008, California becomes the second U.S. state after Massachusetts in 2004 to legalize same-sex marriage after the state's own Supreme Court rules a previous ban is unconstitutional. 2010, Jessica Watson becomes the youngest person to sail nonstop and unassisted around the world solo. At the time she did that, uh, she was, uh, she's now 29. Uh, she was 16 when she... Uh, made the voyage, uh, though she didn't go the, the full 21,600 nautical miles for circumnavigation. She was named the 2011 Young Australian of the Year and given the Medal of Order of uh, Australia in 2012 for her service to sailing. In 2013, an upsurge in violence in Iraq leaves more than 389 people dead over a three-day period. Well... <clears throat> Our current <clears throat> civilization is the inheritor of a past filled with enigmas and mysteries. Our ancestors left us a history alive with ancient civilizations, symbolic structures, and 
landscapes, hidden cities, myth, legend, and bizarre phenomena. And every week, something new in the way of, of bizarreness appears. So we're going to talk about some mysteries of the past. We're going to start out talking about the Stone Sentinels of Easter Island. Easter Sunday, 1722. A fleet of three sailing ships under Dutch Admiral Jacob uh, Rugavine sighted land in the remote uh, southern Pacific. As they got closer to the island, uh, the crews saw gigantic stone statues lining the shore. Seventeen seventy four. Captain James Cook arrived at the island and learned that the inhabitants were descendants of the folks that made the statue. Now, Easter Island, which is called Rapa Nui by its native people, is about twenty three hundred miles northwest of Chile. It's a chunk of volcanic rock, about sixty three miles square. And after decades of toil and work archaeologists and other scientists have learned much about the the statues but uh, equally important they still debate the exact fate of the people who once inhabited that remote island there are more than 900 and there are between 900 and a thousand stone statues on the island today but others have been washed into the sea by eroding waves Statues vary from 6 to 32 feet high and share the characteristics of a long human head with an outstretched chin. Arms of the statues are snugly at the sides, and many of the statues are set upright on platforms called abu. Now, researchers believe the earliest settlers on the island were Polynesians who arrived there about 800 A.D. Culture prospered for several hundred years. The population grew, and the Moai, or the statues, were erected. Now, according to this theory, the the number of trees on the island dwindled, and there are a number of theories about why this ecological event might have occurred. What is believed is that famine resulted in about 1680, a civil war erupted among the island's inhabitants, which, of course, put a halt to the uh, statue carving and literally spelled the end of the Rapa Nui society. So you have to ask yourself, why did the island's rush tree cover vanish? One, one uh, possible cause was the Polynesian rat, which some researchers suggest devoured the island's uh, forest. And the people of Rapa Nui used the trees to supply nearly all their needs, food, houses, firewood, canoes, logs, sleds. Did a lot of sleds to move the the Moai, that's spelled M-O-A-I. That's the statues. Maybe it was simply a matter of time before the island's uh, sources of timber um, disappeared. In fact, uh, the fate of Easter Island is a cautionary tale from the past. Warns uh, modern humankind of future disaster. Uh, in fact, in the area in the uh, areas where the statues were uh, carved out of the bedrock tools were dropped as if in the middle of working the folks carving the statues uh, just abandoned 
everything and ran. You have to wonder why. Well, from Easter Island, let's go to uh, Machu Picchu, which is high atop the Andes Mountains in Peru. It was the last refuge of the Incas, one of the greatest engineering and architectural achievements uh, ever found in the New World. When Hiram Bingham from Yale University I went to Peru in 1911. He was searching for a lost Incan city called uh, Vilcabamba, a jungle uh, city he'd read about in 16th century text written by Spanish explorers. And he did indeed find a long abandoned city high in the Andes Mountains, but it was not uh, Vilcabamba. It was Machu Picchu, a site unknown to Westerners until the this... Uh, lost professor stumbled on it. Today, Machu Picchu, with its uh, massive uh, carved stone walls and buildings, is one of the most spectacular archaeological finds uh, in all of South America. It's known as the Lost City of the Incas, and it's about 165 miles northwest of uh, Peru's capital of Cuzco, south-central Peru, located about 7,000 feet above uh, sea level on the eastern slopes of the Andes. It covers a five-mile area. Historians believe it was built during the height of the vast Inca Empire, which ended uh, about 1530. Uh, but they think it was built sometime between 1460 and 1470. Evidence indicates the city was inhabited until the Spanish conquest of Peru in 1532. Now, it's not known exactly why the site was abandoned, although the presence of conquistadors in the region uh, certainly played a role. Some historians suggested uh, that a smallpox epidemic forced the inhabitants uh, to desert their mountain refuge. You know, one, in addition to death and destruction, the, uh, the conquistadors also brought diseases to which the locals had no immunity and no way to treat. Now, Machu Picchu is a complex of about 200 buildings. Among those buildings are palaces and houses and temples and celestial observatories and storage facilities. And despite all that's known about this site, its true function is still a mystery. Some archaeologists believe it was a royal estate for Inca nobility. Others claim it was a religious site. Other theories argue it was used as a prison or women's sanctuary. It was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1983 and named one of the new seven wonders of the world in 2007. Hopefully we don't go the same way with the folks we have running the country now. Well, one great mystery from South America, and I've liked to delve into South American mystery since I spent several years there, but uh, one of the big mysteries deals with the vanishing of the first great culture of builders and traders in South America, the Olmecs. Nobody knows why the civilization just 
disappeared. 15 centuries before the Mayas and 2,500 years before the Aztecs, the Olmecs dominated uh, what's known as Mesoamerica. Beginning about 1200 B.C., they established their influence along present-day Mexico's Gulf Coast, spread northward, excuse me, southward, through the jungles as far as Costa Rica. They built large urban centers and established expensive and expansive uh, trade routes. Olmec religious practices featured rituals that subsequent Mesoamerican cultures adapt, uh, adopted. The fertile, watered coastal areas of the Gulf of Mexico allowed farmers to harvest maize and beans and squash. Gulf waters also yielded uh, an abundance of shellfish and turtles and other edible sea life. The most enduring legacy of the Olmec civilization is the colossal stone heads carved in basalt rock. Seventeen heads believed to be the likenesses of Olmec rulers have been discovered in the jungle. Other permanent records left behind by Olmec artists include rock carvings and cave paintings and ceremonial objects such as masks fashioned in jade and ceramic. Oddly enough, historical record provides no definitive clue explaining the strange and sudden disappearance of the Olmecs. Scholars believe this is actually the, the first civilization in America, but it appears they disappeared into the jungle with no explanation whatsoever. Well, from South America we come into North America, where we have thousands of earth mounds that dot the U.S. from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. So the question is, who were the mound builders, and why did they build these curious earthworks? Certainly, they were not all uh, used for uh, burial purposes. At hundreds of sites along the Ohio River Valley, from Wisconsin to the Gulf of Mexico, sit more than 100,000 artificial mounds made of soil and rock and ash and shell and burned debris. 16th and 17th century settlers pushing westward across North America were baffled by these strange constructs, as was Thomas Jefferson, who excavated a mound near his home in Monticello, Virginia. He discovered as many as a, a thousand skeletons buried deep inside the earthworks. These mounds were built by Native Americans dating roughly from 3500 B.C. to the late 1500s A.D., and they were built for a variety of purposes. Most were constructed to serve ceremonial and burial functions. Others were served as platforms for religious buildings and residences and sites for public rituals and political gatherings. Most of the mounds were flat-topped or dome-shaped, but the most remarkable were constructed in animal shapes, such as snakes and eagles and buffaloes and even humans. Interesting thing is you couldn't tell what the shape was without seeing it from above, which raises questions was flight uh, among some of the uh, talents of these early builders. The Great Serpent Mound in Adams County, Ohio is one of the most remarkable of these animals, or effigy mounds, measuring 1,330 feet in length and ranging from one to three feet high. Like they built in the first or second century by the Fort uh, ancient culture or the earlier Adena culture, those 
Serpentine shape winds back and forth for more than 800 feet and has several coils, ending with its mouth apparently in the act of swallowing an egg, which is a 120-foot-long oval mound. Now, modern archaeologists are puzzled by the Great Serpent Earthwork as were Americans' early settlers and by their discovery of the mounds themselves. Great Serpent Mound contains no buried objects inside, nor was the site used for burial purposes, leaving scholars to ponder the purpose of this uh, structure. The Cahokia Mounds, located about eight miles northeast of St. Louis, Missouri, is the largest pre-Columbian settlement in the U.S. The Cahokia people occupy the site from about 800 to 1400 A.D., Complex features 120 mounds, including Monk's Mound, the largest earthworks in the Americas, standing 100 feet high and covering more than 12 acres. As much as 20 billion pounds of soil was transported and used in the construction of Monk's Mound. It's presumably built for the uh, religious purposes. A 5,000 square foot temple once sat on top of that enormous flat top pyramid. And from the mounds, let's talk about. Uh, the mystery of the Clovis. Now, recent discoveries has challenged long-held scientific ideas about the first Americans. For decades, the scientific community at large believed it held the answer to the question of how and when the oldest settlers arrived in the Americas. Based on the discovery of flint spearheads and other evidence, about 13,000 to 15,000 years ago, a group of people from Asia walked across the ubiquitous now vanished land bridge that connected Siberia to Alaska, headed south and fanned out across the Americas. According to this theory, the people, known as the Clovis, were the direct ancestors of modern Native American Indians. Now, the Clovis people were hunters of big game, such as the mammoths, which they killed with finely tools, flint spears. The first discovered evidence of the Clovis was, in fact, a Flint Spearhead found near the town of Clovis, New Mexico in 1933. In time, hundreds of other spearheads were found throughout North America. However, recent discoveries have led researchers to once again question the true identity of the first Americans. Mid-1990s, for example, archaeologists digging a, at a site in Cactus Hill, Virginia, uncovered Clovis-style spearheads dating from about 18,000 to 20,000 years ago. They were nearly identical to those made by the, an accomplished tool-making culture in southwest France, known as the Salutrians. They were making their spearhead uh, during that same period. Some researchers have suggested a Salutrian first theory, claiming that Europeans crossed the Atlantic in canoe-like boats and settled in North America several millennia before the Clovis are said to have arrived. Now, there's also a question about whether or not the ubiquitous land bridge the Bering Strait actually existed at all. Additionally, evidence of human activity dating back 19,000 years has been found at the Metalcraft Rock Shelter site near Pittsburgh. Millions of artifacts, including ancient tools made of stone and bone, have been uncovered at the prehistoric campsite. Another piece of evidence for pre-Clovis occupation in North America turned up in 1974 when a Fisherman dredged up a 22,000-year-old mastodon skull and hand-tooled blade made from volcanic rock. The blade bore an uncanny resemblance to the Salutrian tools. 
And while recent discoveries suggest that humans may have lived in North America long before the Globus, we still have the, the main question. Who were these earliest people? Where'd they come from? How'd they get here? Well, from Clovis, let's go to the hidden city of Petra. Now, for those who haven't heard of the hidden city of Petra, it's a secluded city carved out of sandstone rock deep within the Jordanian desert. Now, if you saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, a lot of it was filmed in Petra. Now, nestled in an expanse of forbidding mountains in the southern desert of Jordan is Petra. It's an ancient city carved out of solid rose-colored sandstone. It's accessible only on foot or on horseback. Got to travel through a narrow, winding crevice, three feet wide in some places, before they emerge into the, the courtyard in front of the this shimmering marble that's in stone. Likely built in the 4th century B.C. by the Nepotians. They established Petra as their capital city, strategically located and naturally fortified by the surrounding mountains. It's on the caravan route between Syria and Arabia. And they accumulated great wealth, trading with regional merchants as well as those from the Mediterranean and Egypt. Of course, their riches made the Nepotians a frequent target of conquest by rival powers. After repelling several attacks, the Nabataeans eventually fell to the Roman general Pompey in 63 B.C. Forty years later, Petra was incorporated into the Roman province of Arabia. Now, under the Romans, it continued to thrive for several centuries, but its uh, commercial importance declined with the rise of trading centers in central Syria. A series of devastating earthquakes rocked the city by 13th century A.D. The city was long abandoned and forgotten. 1912, excuse me, in 1812, Anglo-Swiss explorer Johann Burckhardt rediscovered the lost city, which included hundreds of tombs and temples and houses and monuments and an absolutely enormous theater. Buildings are carved in a style that blends local tradition with Greek influence. Dams and a sophisticated irrigation system nurtured the city's garden. Archaeologists believe the city served a multitude of functions throughout the ages. Uh... First as a commercial hub and a fortress and a sacred place, among others. Today, the Stone of Petra faces the constant danger of high tourist traffic and the effects of wind and water erosion. Through a series of large-scale preservation projects, engineers and other scientists from around the world are currently working to protect the city and try to restore it to its past glory. The uh, give you an idea that L. Kuznay, the treasury of Petra, carved into a cliff. It's 130 feet high, 90 feet wide. Well, from Petra, let's go to something I'm sure you've heard of, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, all, it's often been wondered, is there a scientific explanation for the destruction of these two biblical cities? I've heard everything from natural disaster to a nuclear missiles. The biblical tale of God destroying two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the wickedness and sin so grievous of their inhabitants is a familiar tale in the Old Testament. It's 
So you have to ask yourself, could these cataclysmic events actually have happened as described in the Bible? Today, the, the place called Bab-Ed-Dera on the southern end of the Dead Sea is widely accepted by archaeologists as one of the five cities of the plain mentioned in the Bible. Among those five cities was both Sodom and Gomorrah. Digs at the early Bronze Age city, which is, uh, dates from about 3100 to 2300 B.C., revealed that Bab-Ed-Dera was destroyed in a massive conflagration, as was Numeria, a city seven miles to the south. Now, some researchers believe it was not the brimstone and fire rained down by God that destroyed these evil cities, but rather natural climatic and geological conditions that caused the blazing disasters. One theory suggests lightning strikes may have ignited the nearby oil-rich Dead Sea. Another argues that the two cities that both sit on a major fault in a large earthquake zone were rocked by earthquakes. And, of course, an earthquake would largely uh, likely have spilled burning oil lamps or upset cooking fires to start and fuel the blaze. And there's also the theory the cities could have been struck by a meteorite that set in motion fires and seismic disturbances. There's no way in the world that uh, modern scientists are going to believe any kind of biblical uh, disaster. Well, from Sodom and Gomorrah, let's talk about the Lost Canyon of the Pueblos. It's a site of a North American civilization that was mysteriously abandoned. Chaco Canyon, tucked inside the uppermost region northwest of Mexico, was a major center of an ancestral Pueblo people between 850 and 1250 A.D. The site contains the largest, most impressive collection of ancient stone ruins in the U.S., Massive structures that attest to the remarkable engineering skills of uh, Native American peoples inhabiting the Southwest. 1849, a U.S. military expedition discovered, if you will, this uh, canyon. 19 immense structures. <coughs> Excuse me. Housed an estimated 800 to 1,000 people at any one time. But it went 1,200s. Anasazi Pueblos, the builders of the site, had almost disappeared. No one knows why they disappeared or where they went. A 30-year drought likely forced their removal to more favorable crop-growing land to the south, but again, that's just a guess. Well, from the Anasazi, let's talk about the lost civilization of Atlantis. It was the ancient writings of the Greek philosopher Plato who launched thousands of years of intense debate and archaeological investigation in regard to the lost civilization. Atlantis is supposed to be a mystical place once home to a highly advanced island culture. And dreams of Atlantis have captivated archaeologists and ethnographers and novelists and psychics for more than 2,000 years. The origin of the story comes from a single source the famed Greek philosopher Plato. He said his source for the story was the politician and the poet Solon, who in turn heard the story from an Egyptian priest. He described a vast island, larger than present-day Turkey and Libya combined, lying by, beyond the Pillars of Hercules, or the Straits of Gibraltar as we know it today, that existed 9,000 years before. That was about 11,000 years ago. 
Plato provided details of the island's physical makeup. An ancient urban metropolis surrounded by three concentric rings of water with canals and bridges and a massive harbor and defensive walls encased in an unknown metal called a, uh, Ericulcum, which sparkled like fire. The island teemed with forest and orchards and exotic animals and abundance of fresh water. And the main temple of Poseidon on the, the highest ground was, uh, covered in silver and gold. Now, according to the story, the Atlanteans possessed an empire that stretched eastward from the Atlantic Ocean to Italy and Egypt. And eager to extend their domains further throughout the Mediterranean, they invaded Athens but were defeated in battle. Wishing to punish the Atlanteans for their avarice, the gods sent a host of devastating earthquakes and floods upon the kingdom, sinking it beneath the waters. According to Plato, in a single dreadful day and night, the island of Atlantis disappeared into the depths of the sea. But the legend of Atlantis was largely ignored until the late 19th century when Ignatius Donnelly, an American congressman who spent most of his time in the Library of Congress, published Atlantis, the Antediluvian World, in 1882. It was a treatise that claimed all ancient civilizations descended from Atlantis. Later writers, including uh, mystic Madame uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky and the Secret Doctrines of 1888 and Edgar Cayce in the 20th century described Atlantis as a highly technological culture with flying machines and inhabitants who possess mysterious supernatural abilities. Now, to this day, magazine articles and television programs, internet chatter continue to fuel the legend of Atlantis. For scientists and scholars, though, the lost civilization isn't simply lost, it never existed. However, I once read a very detailed study that proved that the bumblebee couldn't fly scientifically. So, from Atlantis, let's go to a pre-existing civilization called Lemuria. Now, scientists and thinkers of the 19th century proposed that a lost continent was in the cradle of humankind. They called it Lemuria. It was the mother race of all humanity. It was in the late 19th century that German naturalist Ernest Heinrich Haeckel attempted to explain how the Lemur, a twi small tweed-dwelling mammal found mainly in the island of Madagascar, but also in Africa and India and the Malay Archipelago, could have crossed the Indian Ocean. He suggested a land bridge spanning the Indian Ocean from Madagascar to India might explain the Lemur's uh, widespread distribution. And he further proposed that the land bridge was the cradle of humankind. And the reason no evidence of early humans has been found was that the continent sank, taking with it all traces of our most primitive ancestors. Now, even though no proof of this land bridge ever existed, Hinkle's theories are widely accepted. And for the record, today's scientists um, ascribe the distribution of limers to continental drift. Popular interest in Lemuria, also called the land of Mu, was yet to reach its crescendo. 1888, Russian occultist uh, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, writing in her book The Secret Doctrine, and I've read it, it's an interesting book, described the evolution of humankind through seven root races. The third of these, called the Lemurian. The Lemurians were giant ape-like creatures, some with forearms and a third eye and the backs of their head, who communicated telepathically and kept dinosaurs as pets. 
Blavatsky claimed she'd received these revelations from secret masters who lived in the mountain cities in Tibet. The Lemurians were eventually drowned when their continent, which predated Atlantis, was destroyed by earthquake and submerged beneath the waters. But even the bizarre claims of Blavatsky and her occultist followers, including numerous psychics and self-proclaimed prophets, failed to diminish interest in the lost civilization of Lemuria. 1931, British-born writer and engineer James Churchward resurrected the elusive land in the lost continent of Mu. I read his series. I highly recommend it. He shifted Lemuria to the Pacific Ocean, where it was the original Garden of Eden, a technologically advanced civilization of more than 60 million inhabitants. According to Churchward, the ancient civilizations of India, Babylon, and Egypt, and the Maya were the remnants of Mu's great colonial empire. When the legend of Lemuria... Uh, continues to thrive to this day. Many spiritual-minded people believe the Demurians fled to Mount Shasta in California, where they live inside a crystal city called Telos. I've not been to Mount Shasta, but I've heard interesting stories about it. Well, you know, every civilization gives rise to something called graffiti. And it's the voice of every man in ancient Roman society. And uh, if you study the graffiti, you get interesting ideas. Graffiti dates back to the first prehistoric humans who picked up a rock and etched some scribbling on stone. The most modern readers might deem uh, today's graffiti as vandalism. Scientists and archaeologists embraced the graffiti of ancient people as a way to understand past cultures and civilizations. And nowhere on earth is ancient graffiti more abundant than in Italy's Bay of Naples, where in 79 AD the eruption of Mount Vesuvius buried the towns of Pompeii and Herculeum under yards of lava and ash, and preserved under these tons of debris are thousands of snippets of 2,000-year-old graffiti, which today provide a revelatory glimpse into the minds and daily lives of ancient Roman subjects. The graffiti in Pompeii and Herculaneum appears on the outdoor walls of houses and businesses, administrative buildings, inside private houses and brothels and bars and on doorways and doors, just about anywhere there was an empty spot to write on. It includes advertisement for merchandise for sale and apartments to rent and political commentary and drawings and love letters and a whole lot more. One of the graffiti's most common themes are sex and love. The walls of a basilica on Pompeii had uh, Lucilla made money from her body. The private home notes uh, Marcellus loves uh, Brennicina, but she doesn't care for him. And political observations appear quite frequently. The petty thieves request the election of Vatia's magistrate. And it's interesting to note that most of this graffiti reveals a surprising literate uh, civilization. Well, from ancient graffiti, let's talk about the sunken city of Ostia. Overrun by marauding barbarians, the great ancient seaport of Ostia becomes lost to history. Destruction of the ancient Roman towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum, uh, caused by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, was swift and complete. They found bodies laying in the street that had been overcome by the... Uh, either the cloud of ash or the lava flow. Distances allowed the, the city of Ostia, about 250 miles to the north, to escape that same fate, enabling that uh, 
seaport town and urban center to flourish in the ensuing two centuries. But with the gradual collapse of the Roman Empire, the once great port city declined in the 16th centuries of oblivion, abandonment, and largely uh, being ignored. And unlike the victims of Vesuvius's wrath, Ostia slowly found until it just went away. Researchers believe Rome's response to barbarian attacks upon Austria in 330 A.D. prompted its decline. Rather than protect the city, Roman forces were deployed to protect the harbor, leaving Ostia proper vulnerable to attack. Barbarians overran and plundered the city, which was never restored. Ignored by the powers in Rome, the city's inhabitants left in droves, hastened by a deadly malaria outbreak, and by the Middle Ages, it was a ghost town. When over the centuries... Silt, carried by the nearby Tiber River and debris from the Mediterranean, slowly engulfed Ostia, bearing it under many feet of compact earth. lay undisturbed until the excavations began in 1937, which unearthed about a third of that entire city. And it's a phenomenal museum of the life of Rome. Well, let's talk about the underground city of Edinburgh, Scotland. Scotland's capital became home to an airless, dark, and underground city inhabited by the low-life elements of society. Built, uh, Edinburgh is built on seven hills. In the late 1700s, the city began building a series of bridges to provide roadways across uneven terrain. And because the bridges didn't span rivers, empty and dry spaces are created underneath the bridges. And to maximize space in the overcrowded metropolis, merchants began to establish businesses in the empty uh, vaults created under the South Bridge. Tradesmen began to thrive in the underground labyrinths of spaces and tunnels. And as conditions deteriorated, the damp, dark vaults became home to the city's poorest inhabitants. Poor sanitation and lack of fresh air and ventilation led to illnesses and disease among the unfortunate denizens of the deep. In the 1830s, the South Bridge vaults were abandoned, filled in with rubble and lost to time. 1980s, an excavation accident revealed the vaults and evidence of a long-forgotten human occupation. And now, explorations abound. Well, let's talk about Scottish cairns. In fact, their most famous set of cairns mystifies the scientific world. The Valnurian of Clava, properly known as Clive of Cairns is an arrangement of three well-preserved but puzzling stone structures. Now, a cairn is a human-made pile or stack of stones that's erected as a burial monument, a landmark, a defensive fortification, or an astronomical marker. The site of Clive of Cairns is located about six miles east of Inverness in the Scottish Highlands and dates from the Neolithic period. That's about 2500 B.C., approximately 4,500 years ago. Each of the three circular cairns is roughly 50 feet in diameter, and two of the three, the northeast cairn and the southwest cairn, are passage graves, hills of stone stacked about 10 feet high with a narrow corridor entrance leading to a circular center. Third structure, the central cairn, is a ring cairn, a circle of stones that surrounds a circular space inside, and slender standing stones encircle each cairn. The excavations at the site began in 1828 and conducted periodically until the 1990s. Researchers believe the site was in continual use for more than a thousand years and then used intermittently until the mid-8th century A.D. Traditional thinking claims the site was likely used either as a burial ground or a celestial marker. 
because the two passage grooves, uh, graves uh, aligned to the winter solstice. Now, digs have uncovered a limited number of human bone fragments, indicating Clavicairns was not a cemetery for the masses, but possibly a burial ground for just a, flu a few influential members of the nearby community. And regarding the site's use as a celestial marker in the 1940s, Scottish engineer Alexander Thorne, an expert on stone circles, showed that the entranceways of the passage graves align directly and in correspondence with the sending stones, and they point to the winter sun setting position. And at that moment, the sun's rays shine directly into the chambers of the passage graves and focus on the back wall. Well, the Clavicairns are part of a group of about 50 similar cairns located in the Inverness region. Excavations continue. Well, from Scotland, let's go to China and talk about China's Forbidden City. Home for two dozen emperors. Jingqing, the Forbidden City, is a dazzling showcase of ancient Chinese culture dating back over 600 years. For almost five centuries... 1416 and 1911, the forbidden city of Beijing, China, served as the royal home for 24 Chinese emperors. All inspiring testimony to Chinese civilization and culture during the heights of the fabled Ming and Qing dynasties. Then the forbidden city because only the emperor and his family, servants, and high officials could use the complex, uh, which was the political and ritual center of China, so it underwent constant renovation during its long history. Construction on the Forbidden City began in 1406 at the orders of the Ming Emperor Zhu Di, who, after seizing power in a coup d'etat, decided to move the imperial capital city from Nanjing to, in southeast China to Beijing in the north. And to accomplish the relocation, nearly a million workers were put together to clear land, quarry rock, and move equipment supplies over the vast distance. Construction, initial construction, that is, lasted until about 1420. Its present configuration of Forbidden City consists of 980 buildings, including nearly 10,000 rooms and antechambers spread across an area of 180 acres. That's more than two and a half times the size of the Kremlin. All the buildings are made of wood, mainly colored bright red or yellow. Dozens of handsomely designed palaces and ceremonial religious centers and courtyards and terraces and stairways are scattered throughout the city. A 32-foot-high wall and a 165-foot-wide moat surround the complex. The names of the various architectural elements within the complex um, are said to imbue the Forbidden City with magical and mystical qualities. Palace of Heavenly Purity served as the Emperor's audience hall during the Qing Dynasty and as the Emperor's residence during the Ming Dynasty. All the Supreme Dynasty served as the site for emperors' enthronements and wedding ceremonies. And it's believed such structure in the compound was designed according to the Treatise on Architectural Methods or State Building Standards, an 11th century handbook that has established standards for construction material and specifications for woodworking and painting and moat construction. Bidden City houses the Palace Museum, a national museum that features more than one million works of Chinese art, including ceramics and bronze and enamel objects and paintings and a whole lot more. And let's talk after, from the Forbidden City. Let's go to the Parthenon, one of the world's most iconic and copied feats of engineering. Reveals the secrets of its construction. For 25 centuries, the Parthenon, considered by many architects and archaeologists as the finest building ever constructed, is set on top of the 
Athenian Acropolis. Rock by earthquakes set ablaze and looted. The sacred site dedicated to the goddess Athena, guardian of ancient Athens, holds uh, secrets researchers are just now beginning to understand. It was built in about eight or nine years, ending at about 438 B.C. So you have to ask yourself, how could such a massive marble structure with a base of 23,000 square feet, 46 columns, and a 525-foot frieze made of scores of life-size human figures have been built in such a short time? Researchers believe the Athenians likely used pulleys and wooden cranes to transport and lift the enormous marble blocks used in the building construction. Now, to the naked eye, the Parthenon seems to be geometrically straight. But close observations show there's hardly a straight line in the temple. And parts of the building, especially the subtly bulging centers of the columns, are intentionally carved. Researchers believe the masons built in these slight curves to correct the visual distortion that naturally occurs when the human eye gazes upon such a large object from a distance. The project to restore the Parthenon, funded by the Greek government and the European Union, and started in 1983, is predicted to finish about 2025. Assuming we don't have a major world war in the process. And then from the Parthenon, we have Nanmadal, which is a forgotten city. It's a vast complex of megalithic structures, which rises from a sea of coral rock to create an ancient city that appears to float on the water. Abutting the coast of remote Micronesian islands are uh, the ruins of maybe the most incredible engineering marvel of the ancient world. That's the city of Nanmadal, the only ancient city built entirely on top of a coral reef. But despite the massive scale of the construction project, its 92 artificial islands spread over 200 acres of shoreline, no record exists documenting exactly when or how the city was built or why the task of building on a coral rock was undertaken at all. The island of Ponpai, roughly 130 square miles in area, is located nearly 5,600 miles off the coast of California in the Pacific Ocean. Fierce human activity on the island dates back to the 1st or 2nd century B.C., with the early settlers arriving from the Solomon Islands or the Vanuatu Archipelago in the south. Construction on the series of artificial inlets likely began about the 8th or 9th century A.D., most of it happening in the 12th and 13th centuries during the reign of the Sardalir dynasty. Under the Sardalir, the Anmadal was the political, social, and religious center of the island. Foundations of the islets were made of large basalt boulders up to 20 feet long, brought from the other side of uh, Ponpai. Researchers have identified several possible quarry sites, but unable to determine exactly how the heavy stones are transported to the building site. Local legend, of course, claims that the huge stones were set there by magic. Historians suggest the rocks may have been carried on rafts to the site, but don't know how the stones were sunk into the water and erected on the coral reef, especially since the builders worked without the benefit of pulleys or levers. The black basalt rock was also used to build the walls of the 130 structures, some as high as 45 feet high and up to 15 feet thick. And this includes dwellings and temples and administrative buildings and workshops and a large royal mortuary. One cornerstone of the mortuary raised roughly 50 tons, and the total weight of all the rocks moved and in place is said to be about 826,500 tons. No concrete or other building agent was used in the city's construction. The stones were carefully cut and placed upon each other in a crisscross pattern. 
which is an unbelievable uh, work. Well, on that note, because at the end of the day's show, we'll be back tomorrow and talk more about some of the world's greatest mysteries. Till then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.